What's up guys? Welcome to the Clinical Mastermind Podcast. I am your host Dan Pringle and today we talk about the functional anatomy of sartorius. What's up guys? Welcome to another edition of the Clinical Mastermind Podcast. I am your host Dan Pringle. You can reach us at www.clinicalmastermind.com. You can also reach us by email, info at clinicalmastermind.com. You can find me on Instagram, dpringle.physio, or Twitter, dpringle underscore physio. I got a good one for you today. I th- say that a lot, but, uh, but I think this one is a really fascinating topic. We're talking about sartorius. Now, my guess is you probably don't spend much time thinking about sartorius. Maybe you had one patient one time that had pain coming from the ASIS going towards a medial thigh, and you said, aha, I know what muscle lays underneath there. But for the most part, you probably don't spend much time thinking about that muscle. And I think that's okay. I can totally see why. And I'm not telling you that you need to change your practice to make sartorius the number one point. You're not going to start advertising online saying, I am the sartorius healer of any kind. I don't like any notorious BIG jokes, but I do think that paying more attention to sartorius and what um, understanding the role of sartorius does can do, I think that should make a big difference in the way that you, uh, you think about the body as a whole. So, what you're going to hear about is another uh, journey through my uh, dissection travels down to Tempe, Arizona, where we had these unembalmed cadavers that we were dissecting. And uh, what I focused on in this particular case was kind of the, what was happening in terms of connectivity across the, uh, the thigh. You'll hear me talk about how sartorius is attached to pretty much every muscle group of the lower body from the obliques all the way down to the ankle and, uh, and how that might play a role more in proprioception than in strength. And, uh, and w- let's talk a little bit about the implications there. If it t- attaches to every single thing, it probably plays a big role in communicating information. If you think about the mechanoreceptors in the fascial planes, if we think about the vascular structures that it, tra- that it traverses and overlaps with, as well as the nervous system structures from the lateral femoral cutaneous nerve at the ASIS to the saphenous nerve down at the, the uh, uh, medial tibia, there's a lot of connectivity when it comes to the, the sartorius, and I think it's really important that we uh, take that into consideration. That doesn't mean I'm treating it a lot, but what it does show is that the body has this design and this mechanism, and if we can understand how one area is related to another in a much more complete way, then we're going to start to understand how we need to think more globally about the problems that we're treating. This is, a, this is a theme that I keep referring to. Don't treat medial knee pain like medial knee pain. Understand these different components. And there will be times that you start to trace up sartorius and identify a lot of sensitivity or tenderness, or you identify muscle bulk that's a little bit different, or they've had an old adductor tendon injury, and now you're seeing other areas working harder on behalf of that torn tendon. So you're going to start to recognize these patterns about how addressing one area influences another, and that's a lot of what, uh, what we talk about in this little clip here. So take a listen, and, uh, and I'm going to share my thoughts a little bit afterwards and, and some other clinically, clinically relevant uh, tips that, uh, that you can take out of this. One of the big findings for me was the relationship with, uh, between the sartorius and almost every different muscle group in the lower extremity. So, we know the tr- traditional understanding of sartorius, it pulls off the ASIS, 
it wraps around medially, attaches down at the Pezan serine, right? One of the attachments of those, ten those, those medial tendons along with gracilis and semitendinosus. And we typically associate it with, uh, I think it's called Taylor's muscle or something. I've never seen a Taylor work, but apparently they put their leg into abduction, external rotation with knee flexion. And that's typically what we associate with sartorius. So when we learn it in school, we, you know, we see it written down, we see it in the anatomy book. What does it do? It pulls you into external rotation, abduction with knee flexion. So I don't know, I don't know how often I do that. I guess when I cross my legs, I do that, right? But there are a bunch of other muscles yes, that are redundant that do that as well, that are maybe more designed to do that and, and have more leverage and power and a stronger attachment than we typically assume. So do I really need a designated muscle to do that motion? Probably not. So, so what's the value of this muscle? So I wasn't looking at it specifically for this purpose, but it was just an observation that came to me as I was going through uh, the dissection of the thigh. And what I soon realized is that it touches all these different groups. So at the ASIS, it blends into the external oblique. So the external oblique obviously attaches to ASIS around the inguinal ligaments and so forth. And so there's a fascial connection between the external oblique and the sartorius. You can actually dissect them as a unit. I believe I did this right off the ASIS, maintain their connectivity without actually being connected to the bone anymore. Um, then it comes along and of course it crosses the anterior hip right there, the femoral triangle, its relationship with the femoral nerve, femoral artery, femoral vein, the quadriceps there, and then at the same time laterally the attachment of some of the glutes. We talked about the lateral fascia there as well. So we are interacting with the glutes and the obliques right at the, right at the iliac crest, then we've got all the femoral uh, vessels right there. The quadriceps obviously comes down medially across the adductor longus and then blends in with the semitendinosus down below the knee, blending in also fascially with the calf. So we've got these obliques, glutes, quads, adductors, hamstrings, calf, mm -hmm. all blended in with this one muscle. It's a very unique muscle. Yeah. So, what, you know, so obviously, if, if we don't need a dedicated muscle to do this complex tailored movement, what is the role of this guy? It's not just redundant, in fact, I believe that it plays a massive role in proprioception. So it is going to help coordinate all these different muscles, coordinate these guys to work together in unison. We just, in these last two examples, alluded to the connectivity of the system as a whole, especially along the thigh, all these different units have to work together, co-contraction of abductors and adductors, co-contraction of flexors and extensors. So it blends in with all of those, giving information. And of course, even if you were to try to dissect the sartorius, it's not just sitting on top, it's integrated into these complex fascial uh, networks. Yeah. So it's actually part of this bigger unit. And long muscles tend to have less of a contractile role and more of a feedback role anyways. Mm -hmm. You talk about something like plantaris, you talk about something like palmaris longus, and their roles in proprioception in, in these long, long tendons or tendons-like muscles. And, uh, and I really believe that sartorius plays a massive role in that. And I've found that when I've needled sartorius specifically, early on in the treatment, maybe as the first one even, we see again those massive changes in flexion strength, abduction strength, external rotation strength, all these different things because of this relationship. So I believe that it plays a massive role in that. And of course, being close to those vessels, both uh, arterial 
and uh, venous as well as the, the femoral nerve, it's got to play a big role in, in vascular function as well because it's coming across that lower border. Mm -hmm. So how would you, uh, what would be an indication for treating it? Because you can't really, it's not a muscle you can really strength test, yeah. right? Um, what, what, what in a patient presentation or what objective test do you do to, to that scream at you like, I need to treat the sartorius? Or is it really just, you know, hip function is not great or knee function is not great, I'm going to go to it because I know that it plays this huge role in, in connecting and organizing activity in those areas? That's a really good question. So I would say as a general rule, I'm not ever thinking, you know what, the sartorius right. is the, the weakest link in this system. It, I would say it rarely is uh, because... It, it's not really easily testable and less likely to be injured than many of the other structures as well. Um, but some things that I will pick up on are assessing the medial thigh. So in understanding the movement of the hip, in some of the strength testing, in my manual uh, palpation and looking along the medial thigh, if I'm identifying tissue changes, uh, maybe decreased adductor bulk, uh, you know, trophic changes, uh, maybe again some adductor weakness per se, I'm going to pay a bit more attention to the actual trajectory of the sartorius. So I'm going to look at that and, and palpate and, uh, and I'm going to try to see if I can uh, understand whether it plays a big role. And in those cases when I've kneeled it specifically, I've seen nice broad effects. And that's not enough for me to say, well, my job is done because I still need to go to a lot of those other areas, clean it out with some micro-conditioning potentially mm -hmm. along the medial thigh, the trajectory of the sartorius. But I'm also going to pay attention to, uh, to the sartorius in other cases when I know there's a major hip and knee dysfunction, when there's a medial thigh, the sartorius plays a big role in its relationship with the saphenous vein, the saphenous nerve, as we're going to talk about later. Mm -hmm. So there's a bunch of different reasons when I'm going to go after uh, that, that area, but I would say that it rarely am I going to say, aha, sartorius is a problem. Yeah, yeah, rarely. Something other that, and I'm just I'm just remembering that we we talked about down there with with Alex was um, the the collection of those pezzanserine tendons and, and their role with like medial knee pain and integrating hip function with with knee function. So you got it was interesting because you got the sartorius coming from the lateral hip running down to the medial knee, then you got the gracilis coming from the medial hip running down to that medial knee. And then you've got the semitendinosus coming from the posterior hip, running mm -hmm. down to that medial knee. Three long tendons. Three long tendons, right? All probably doing the same thing, playing a role in providing feedback and proprioceptive input to integrate that function between the hip and the knee. So definitely, um, I think those two as well kind of go hand in hand with it and playing a role in, uh, in integrating that. When Alex said that, I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty unbelievable, the design of the body that it's... Uh, it's something that I hadn't even really thought of before. All right. So, like I said, sartorius is a really interesting muscle for me. It's a really interesting case study in functional anatomy. And I think we need to make sure that we're always taking this functional approach when we try to understand anatomy. Obviously, when you're first in school and you're learning, it's a lot of this muscle starts here, goes there, and therefore pulls in such and such a way and moves in such and such a direction. And then you kind of get out into practice and maybe you take a couple courses and the next step is, okay, you know, there's two different things. If the arm is in this position, then 
Infraspinatus does this, and if it's in this position, it does that, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so you get a little bit more uh, context, right? You start to imagine how, depending on whether it's weight-bearing or closed kinetic chain, or depending on the angle of force, what's stabilized, what's not, what's weak, what's injured, you start to get a little bit more of a context in terms of how these muscles work. But then there are some exceptions, and I really think Sartorius is one of them, because you don't have a specific, like there's no reason for that Taylor's movement to be something that one muscle is dedicated to do. It's not like a movement that that was functionally relevant to every single day uh, as, you know, as humans were evolving. So it must have some other purpose. Some of these things are vestigial, but a lot of times we just have to dive more deeply into why they actually might play a big role. So that kind of extrapolation led to my understanding of Sartorius as a proprioceptive muscle and as we get to in the end of the clip, we start to talk about gracilis and semitendinosus in the exact same way. And we've got other examples of that. We've got palmaris longus in the forearm. We've got uh, plantaris in the calf. Long tendons, proprioceptive, and likely responsible for giving us information about the environment in a proprioceptive and a mechanoreceptive manner, rather than all about contraction. So if we can start to think about the role of the body as integrating different types of information to understand the environment and to create an output that is desired, then we must not forget about these types of structures and how they influence our perception of the world around us and integrating those different outputs to work together. So when one area contracts, tension along serratorius can influence a second area to make sure we've got the proper feedback in the nervous system to know that the response was appropriate. And so while this doesn't mean that we need to go treat Sartorius, as I said earlier, what I think it does do is give us another window into understanding how the body actually works. And as I say time and time again, if you understand how the body works and you understand what's going on with your patient, whatever you are doing for treatment, whether it's exercise or education or acupuncture or manual techniques, you're going to have a much more clear idea of what's going on. You're not just going to slap something on locally where the pain is because you're going to start to appreciate the role of proper mechanics and better movement patterning and proper feedback from the nervous system, how tension in one area may play a role elsewhere, even if they aren't directly neurologically or traditionally anatomically connected, as we may have learned in school. So I think the biggest takeaway in a specific situation. So I want to go over a specific example here. Your patient comes in with medial knee pain and we're starting to try to identify why. Is it something with adductors? Is it, there was no trauma, so it's likely not an MCL injury. Um, maybe there's some stuff previously in the ankle, but if we just kind of focus on the knee in that medial thigh area, we're only looking at a small piece of the problem. So if we take a step back and zoom out and we take a look at what's happening at the anterior hip, for instance, we can notice that there was quite a bit of restriction with internal rotation and with flexion, okay? Now, if we start to think about the structures that play a role along the anterior hip, things like the femoral nerve, which provides innervation, of course, to the medial knee, and in fact, all of the knee uh, on, the, on the anterior uh, three quarters, then we start to put a little bit more understanding in these global factors. Now Sartorius is there and it's innervated by the femoral nerve, 
but it might not necessarily be the one at fault, but there could be quite a bit of tension between Sartorius and Vastus Lateralis and the IP band, uh, 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 tensor fascia lata as well. Could there be a lot of tissue dysfunction coming down medially from the anterior hip, diagonally creating a tensional distribution that is abnormal between the lateral hip, the anterior lateral hip, and the medial knee? I don't know. There might be, there might not be, but if I'm noticing hip restrictions, I'm going to try to figure out exactly how that might be connected. Is there a fascial connection? Is there a neurological connection? Is there a movement patterning connection? And is there some combination of those three? So if I can palpate and I can assess movement and strength, I can infer a little bit about the relationship between those structures. If I just assume that they're there, then you know I probably get more bang for my buck. But if you really want to understand the body and you want to progress your knowledge, you need to go in and assess those types of things. So that means that, yes, in fact, every single time someone comes in with medial knee pain, I'm palpating along the trajectory of sartoria. It's not because I think it's at fault, but because I want to understand how tension along that particular fascial plane may influence what's happening in the medial compartment. And of course, I'll do the same thing along the adductors. I'll take a closer look at what's happening at the anterior thigh. I'll even explore what's happening a little bit more posterior medially and, and maybe posterior laterally if, if indicated. And then of course, everything above and below with the back and, and what's happening in the mechanics of the ankle and uh, the tibiofemoral uh, tibio joint as well. So if you take those few things into consideration every single time, not only will you help with that specific patient, but you start to put the pieces together for other patients. And I think that's really important for, uh, for, for us to consider as well. Every single patient in which you assess Sartorius gives you another context, another demographic, another patient population where you know what Sartorius tension, palpation, sensitivity, trophic changes look and feel like. And if you add that up, you'll be much better at predicting when there it is contributing to a problem versus when it's just normal or just happens to be there. It's kind of a red herring. And if we talk about whether or not we can find evidence to affect that sartorius tension is related to medial knee pain, we probably won't find it. But if we can use our clinical skills to assess it on a consistent basis, we'll notice when it stands out in one particular, in two particular, in very odd, unique presentations, or very common presentations. So that's what I encourage you to do, is acquire and accumulate as much information about what's happening with every single patient, not because it'll be relevant for them, but because it'll be relevant for the next patient. And the upside is that there will be a nice percentage of the time that it is particularly relevant to them, and then you can work on that as part of your treatment plan as well. So if we stop saying our goal is just to treat pain and we try to focus on trying to understand the body, if we treat to understand rather than treat just to treat, then we'll get more information for that specific patient. We'll be able to explain better to our patient. We'll be able to understand better if they have a flare up, what we missed, what we didn't get to because we understand the problem. If we just treat to treat, if we just treat for immediate change in symptoms, then you don't pick up that valuable information that will help that patient in the future and your next patient through the door. So Sartorius in the study of that is a great example of how you can take your understanding of the problem to a higher level. And if you're able to do that, you're going to be much more effective when it comes to the next patient through the door. 
and to understand the little intricacies that make one patient different from the other. And it's those details that accumulate to the kind of expertise that I really hope you guys can achieve over time. So on that note, thanks again for listening to the next podcast. You can reach us at info at clinicalmastermind.com. You can find me on Instagram, dpringle.physio. On Twitter, dpringle underscore physio. You can reach me at YouTube slash D-P-R-I-N-G-L, no E. And you can stay tuned to future podcasts, send us your reviews, pass it on to a friend, and we look forward to engaging with you soon. Thank you very much, and uh, thanks for listening to the Clinical Mastermind Podcast.